Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the words that are contained before us in the scriptures. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken. And Lord, we pray that we may indeed have ears to listen this morning as we look at your word together. We pray that you may be with me. We pray that you would keep me from speaking error. But instead, Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak the truth here. And Lord, we pray that people's hearts may be encouraged to continue to come to you in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, have you ever found that you have done something and you can't actually remember doing it? First time I really noticed this in my life was when I'd learned to drive. And when you first learn to drive, you are very much having your mind engaged in every part of the driving experience. But then you get your license, and I still remember getting my license and the excitement it was to be on my P's. And then I remember one night after I was coming home from work, uh, I suddenly realised I couldn't recall going through different sets of lights and actually making it home. Whereas before that, everything when I was driving, I would, I'd remember the whole experience going from one place to another in the car. But I suddenly realised that my mind had been doing it all without me considering it as I was doing it. I was doing it on autopilot, so to speak. And I got really worried. I suddenly realised, did I, did I go through any red lights without realising? And could I have broken any other laws as I was coming home. I had no comprehension that I'd done what I had in driving home. Have you had this experience? Maybe at work you do the same thing again and again and again and again, and so you actually do it without thinking anymore. And if someone was to say, what have you done in that, you wouldn't be able to recall actually doing it, looking at it, and using your hands or your mouth in some particular way, whatever you do at work, that you can't remember using your body to do that particular task. Well, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, but particularly in relation to our worship of God. Because we can automate many things in our lives. We can function like robots. And there is a danger to automate our worship of God. And that is the danger that Jesus is warning us about in John chapter 4 and verses 23 and 24, which we'll be concentrating on this morning. We've been slowly working through John chapter 4 and Jesus interacting with this Samaritan woman. He has been speaking to her about a type of water that will bring eternal life, and she has asked him for this water. He has then confronted her about her sin in having many husbands, and the person she is now living with is not her husband. And as a result of her, Jesus speaking about that to her, she has then brought up the subject of worship. And we see that in verse 19 of John chapter 4. Page 1053 of the Black Church Bibles. I encourage you to have those open before you now. And we see in verse 19 of John chapter 4 that the woman brings up the subject of worship. She says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's come before him as he's talked about her sin, and she said, Well, where do you worship God? And we looked at reasons as to why she may have brought this up all of a sudden. It may be that she's trying to change the subject. She's trying to get away from talking about her own life. Let's talk about other people and their controversy about where you should worship. Or maybe she's wanting to know, how do I best worship God? Do I worship, I'm a sinner, where do I worship him? Do I worship him on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, which is the, where the Samaritans worship God? They have their own temple there and do their own sacrifices there. Or am I supposed to go to Jerusalem? 
and worship God there at the Jerusalem temple and offer sacrifices there. And in response, Jesus says a couple of things, and one of those is what we looked at last week. He says in verse 22 to her, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And we saw that it is important to know the one that you're worshipping. And the way we know the one who we should worship is, of course, by the scriptures. Uh, the Samaritans had rejected most of the Old Testament. They only held the first five books of the Old Testament. And so they were worshipping someone that they didn't know. They had an incomplete knowledge of God, whereas the Jews had that complete knowledge. And then Jesus says something extraordinary to her as well in verse 23. He says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. So Jesus has said to her, you must worship one that you know. And now he's got something else that we must keep in mind when we worship God. How else are we meant to worship God? What are we meant to do? Well, we're meant to worship God in spirit and truth. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning. What does it mean to worship God in spirit and truth? And so my first main point this morning is about the first part of that answer to this woman from Jesus, is that true worshippers worship in spirit. If you want to follow my main points, they're there on the third page of the bulletin so that you can follow along. And the first is this morning that true worshippers worship in spirit. What does it mean to worship God in spirit? What does it mean to worship him in spirit? Now, for many people, now for some people, I should say, uh, they think that Jesus is talking here about the Holy Spirit. So we must worship God in the Holy Spirit. And that is true. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, uh, we are, uh, Paul says, We who worship by the Spirit of God. We are meant to worship God by the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit in us if we are to worship God. Indeed, very true. But I don't think that's what Jesus is actually speaking about here. He's not speaking about the Holy Spirit when he says in verse 23 that we must worship the Father in spirit. Because he doesn't actually say Holy Spirit or Spirit of God here. So he doesn't make a direct reference to the Spirit. It's just the word Spirit that's there. And of course, what is another Spirit that we understand to be around? Well, that is our own Spirit, our own soul. We have a Spirit within us. We are body, but we are also spirit. We have a spirit in us. And I think that is what Jesus is referring to here when he talks about our worship. He's talking about our own spirit. And one of the reasons I think that is the case is because the woman has come to Jesus and asked him about what is the right type of worship that I need to offer God. How do I worship God? Is it on this mountain or another mountain? And so Jesus is now talking to her and saying, what is it that you need to do? He's telling her what she needs to do to worship God and that her spirit should be involved. She should know who she is worshipping, which is what we looked at last week in verses 21 and 22, but she should also have her spirit involved in her worship because we can automate our worship. Just like we can automate driving a car and not think about it, we can automate worship. Jesus is showing the woman that she is concerned about physical things where she should be concentrating on spiritual things, what's going on inside. She is focused on the externals. What mountain do I worship God on? With which temple, with which priests do I worship God so that it's acceptable worship? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. It's not about 
the externals, it's about what's going on inside. Because the problem is when we focus on the externals, we can automate things. If we only focus on worship being about what mountain we're meant to be on and what we're meant to do while we're there, our spirits cannot be involved with that kind of worship. And so then our worship is not true worship because our spirits are not engaged. So that's what Jesus is saying here. And I think this is supported by other parts of uh, the Bible that do encourage us to have our mind and our soul involved in our worship. Even Jesus himself, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 8, he quotes from Isaiah and says about the Jews, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What's he talking about? He's talking about people who are worshipping him, not in spirit. They're doing it with their bodies, yes. But their whole self is not involved because their spirits are not involved. Their heart is not in their worship. And so the Jews and Samaritans at this time did fall into this danger. You can see that by the woman's statement about which mountain do we worship God on. They were focused on the externals rather than the internals. And this is a problem for people today as well. It's not just a problem for the Jews and the Samaritans 2,000 years ago. It's a problem for people today. When you look at other religions, a lot of the focus can be on the externals. What is the right place to worship? And who, what, what objects do we use in worship? Particularly religions that encourage idolatry. They have idols. And so they have the right idols made by the right person if they are to engage in right worship. They're concerned with the externals. Or maybe taking a pilgrimage to a holy site. How do I worship God? Well, I have to make sure that I go from this site to this site and then God will be pleased with me. Or they have other different external things that they do where their minds are not actually engaged in what they're doing. They go to confession. They regularly do it and they just don't even think about it anymore. They've done it so many times. And as Christians, we can do this too. We can automate our worship. We can say our prayers instead of praying our prayers. We can say things to God, they're meant to be to God, but we aren't actually thinking about what we say. This is quite a danger when we use written prayers that we read through. This is one of the dangers of books like a prayer book. Now, I went to an Anglican church for uh, quite a few years uh, primarily because I was dating an Anglican girl. Uh, but I started going along to that church and they had a prayer book and many of the prayers in the prayer book are wonderful prayers. They're really well written. They're godly prayers that are there. But if you say the same prayers week after week, you can find yourself not actually thinking about what you're saying. And it's the same even with the Lord's Prayer. We don't here at Moines Baptist have a prayer book, but I do pray the Lord's Prayer from the pulpit every, once a month. It's on my rotation. Once a month I pray it. And I know from my own life and from corporate life with other believers in church that the Lord's Prayer, you can just switch off with it. And so when I pray the Lord's Prayer here in church, I often try to slow it down or speed it up in different parts so that people aren't just going through it mundanely and thinking about it. Or you change words rather than uh, you, 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 you uh, give us sort of a different translation on some of the words so that people are caught and go, oh, that's what it means. That's what the Lord's Prayer is about, rather than simply saying it without actually having their spirit involved in it. 
Same with reading the Bible. You can read the Bible without thinking. I can do this privately. I can skim along. You can do it in church. We read the Bible before. Did you actually have your mind engaged for every word that was spoken? Or were you just following along without thinking about it? Same with singing songs. This is a real danger for me, um, that I can just sing a song and not actually think about what I'm saying. My spirit is not involved in my worship of God. I'm just singing the words. They're coming out of my mouth. But I'm not actually thinking about what I'm singing. Same with hearing a sermon. You can hear the sermon, which is very different from listening to the sermon, actually comprehending what is being said. We can just sit there and think about lunch whilst you're hearing the sermon. And if the pastor says something funny, you might suddenly twig twig on it or he slips up, you suddenly switch back in, your spirit will start listening again. But as he's just going along, you're hearing him, but you're not actually listening to him, and your spirit is not involved. Same with other things that we do as a church, taking the Lord's Supper. It can become very mechanical, very automated. Of course I take the bread and I take the grape juice, so I don't even think about whether I should or shouldn't take them. I don't examine myself, I've done this for years. This can be one of the dangers of taking the Lord's Supper every week. We're never prescribed in the scriptures as to how often we should take the Lord's Supper. Some people encourage it weekly because, of course, it's a time where we remember Jesus in a way that he has ordained. But if we do it every week, there can be that danger that it becomes automated and you're no longer considering what it is that you're proclaiming to those around you as you eat the bread and drink the grape juice. Now, we've got to be careful here that the physical is not completely swept away and we always just focus on the spiritual. It is important to have a nice building to meet in that will keep us free from distractions outside. It's important to make sure that you're worshipping with people who are going to encourage you in your worship and support you in your worship and not distract you as well. It's important to have written prayers at times to help you inform your prayers and what you can pray for, particularly prayer lists. I use those greatly, although I can just start to glide down the list and not actually think about the people that I'm meant to be praying for, but they're very helpful. The externals can be helpful. God had a physical temple for his people to meet him so they could worship him. But all that is useless if our spirits are not involved. We need to have our soul involved in our worship, whatever it may be that we're doing to the Lord. And that's what Jesus is saying here. When he tells us in verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father speaks, uh, seeks. So what is the other thing that is required of our worship? We are required to worship God in spirit. What else does he say there? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. True worshippers worship in truth. True worshippers worship in truth. We're meant to worship in spirit. We're also meant to worship in truth. What does Jesus mean here? Well, this could be basically Jesus saying the same thing twice with two different words. He could be saying, worship in spirit, which also means to worship in truth. Because let's face it, if you're on automated worship one Sunday morning, are you really being truthful to God in your worship? Aren't you being deceitful in the way that you're approaching him? Aren't you being a hypocrite? You're saying certain things, you're sitting there, meant to be praying, and you're going through the process, but you're not actually there. It's a hypocrisy to the Lord. It's deceitfulness. It's an untrue worship that you're giving to the Lord. 
And so that's what he could be saying here. You're basically trying to fool God by coming before him, doing the right things without your mind involved so that God will bless you. You see, some people do this. They, they pray every day, they read their Bible every day, they go to church every Sunday, and they don't really think much about it. They, they do it all so that God will be nice to them. It's hypocrisy. You're trying to fool God. If I do all the right things, then God will be good to me. And it doesn't matter whether I actually think about what I'm doing. I just do them, and God will do, them, uh, do what I want him to do as a result of what I have done. And it's really a deceitfulness towards God. And it's quite arrogant, really. You're saying that the God who knows everything, the omniscient one, doesn't know that your mind isn't engaged while you're at church and doing your Bible readings and praying. And so that's what Jesus could be getting at here when he says you must worship in spirit and truth. Because the two words are very closely tied together, spirit and truth. It's only one preposition, Greek preposition, that goes before them. That word in, in spirit and truth. It's not in spirit and in truth. They're tied together by that one preposition. And uh, it's actually a bit disappointing in the New International Version in verse 24 where it breaks them up by saying in spirit and in truth, having the word in twice. Because they're very tightly, clo- uh, tightly uh, together in the Greek. Spirit and truth, there together. And when we consider what he said back in verse 22 to the Samaritan woman about knowledge, you worship who you, you don't worship who you know. What does he say? You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. There's this idea of knowledge that's going on there. And so truth is there contained within that one paragraph together. So it could be that he's simply speaking about our need to worship God in spirit and truth, and it's one idea. Or it could also be, as I've said there from verse 22, that he's speaking about the knowledge that we need to have of God. So it should be that our worship should be true and that we're not being deceitful, but it should also be a knowledgeable worship, a true worship of God, that we're worshipping the true God, not a God that we make up ourselves. And that's what I spoke about last week, our need to read the Bible so that we know who we are worshipping. Because if we make up a God in our minds, then we're not truly worshipping God. We don't have true knowledge of him. So I think what Jesus is doing here is basically pushing us about two big dangers in our worship. Two big dangers in our worship. He's making those aware of those two dangers. What are those dangers? First is that our spirit's not involved in our worship. Second is that we don't know the one that we worship. Because you can be sincere in your worship, but it's worship of a God who isn't true, a God who isn't actually there, a God who you've made up, or somebody else has made up and that you're worshipping. Or the other danger is that you are insincere in your worship, your spirit's not involved in your worship, but you are seeking to worship the one who is truly there. You are seeking to worship Jesus, but your spirit is not involved in that worship. So these are the dangers that Jesus is warning us about here. But why are they such a danger? Why bother worshipping God in spirit and truth? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. True worshippers worship in spirit and truth because the Father seeks them. And we see that in verse 23. It says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. They are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God wants you to worship in spirit and in truth because those are the people that he is seeking. And that's a good thing. 
To have God seek you is a good thing. It means God is watching out for you, looking out for you. My children like it when I seek them out. They often seek me out, and I'm not sure it's a good thing when they're coming in. I'm particularly doing something that I'm, I'm really focused on, and they seek me out. But they often love me to come and seek them out, seek them out, and want to spend some time with them. And that is who the Father seeks, is those who worship in spirit and truth. God is watching out, looking out for those people who come to him with their spirit involved in their worship and want to worship him according to the truth as contained in the scriptures, who truly know him through his word rather than have constructed some figment of their imagination that they are worshipping instead. Because if we don't worship God in spirit and truth, then it's a waste of time. That's what Jesus says when he quotes from Isaiah in Matthew chapter 15. I already read the first sentence, but verse 9 has something extra. From verse 8 we read, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Then what does he say? Verse 9, They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus is saying it's vanity to worship me with your lips, but not have your heart involved in that worship. It's vanity. It's a waste of time. You may as well not bother worshipping. You're being a complete hypocrite towards God. And there's no other option for worshipping God. It has to be in spirit and truth. Notice what it says there in uh, verse 24. It says, God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Must worship in spirit and truth. Little Greek word there in verse 24. It is necessary. It's often translated as it is necessary. It is necessary. You must worship God in spirit and truth. There's no other way to worship God. You must truly know him and you must be sincere in your worship of him. So it's far worse to automate our worship than the many other things that we automate in our life. Because let's face it, if you drive home and you don't really think about it, And you realise, you know, I can't remember what I did at that set of lights and that set of lights and that set of lights. But you still get home. Mission is accomplished. You know, you can tick that box. I got home safely. Hopefully you didn't run any red lights and uh, damage anyone on the way home, uh, cause any accidents that you're completely unaware of. But generally speaking, I think we can automate a lot of things in our lives and it's no big deal. But you can't automate worship. You can't rattle off your prayers. You can't sing your songs do your Bible readings, and not have your spirit involved. Because if you do that, then the Father doesn't seek you. He seeks people who have their spirit involved in their worship. You must, must worship in spirit and truth. There is no other option if you want to worship God and have the Father seek you. You may be saying, okay, so why do I need to do this? Why does God require that I worship in spirit and truth? Well, Jesus gives us a reason in verse 24. And that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. True worshippers worship in spirit and truth because God is spirit. Because God is spirit. And we see that in verse 24. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Why do we have to worship God in spirit and truth? Because he is spirit. How does that relate? Well, 
if God is spirit, then the only connection we can make with him is really a spiritual connection. He wants us to connect with him spiritually. God is not tied to physical things. He's not tied to a physical place, a physical mountain, and so you can only worship him in that place. If he is spirit, then he is everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're in Australia or whether you're in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter whether you're in London. Wherever you are, God is there because he is spirit. And so he wants you to make a spiritual connection with him, not a physical connection. And that's why idolatry is such a horrendous thing. You're trying to put God, who is spirit, down into some sort of physical limitation and worship him through that physical thing. He is spirit. He can't be tied down. He can't be tied down to a physical place in terms of location at a temple or even to a physical object. And so if you are to worship God through physical means, you're not making that connection, which is the very core of who he is. He's, a, he's spirit. And so we must worship him spiritually. What about truth? How does that relate to God being spirit? It's very clear to see that we must worship God with our spirits if he is, a spirit, if he is spiritual if he is a spiritual being, if he is spirit. But what about truth? Well, if God is spirit, then the only way you can know him is if he reveals himself to you. If you want to know some, about something in this world, you can study it usually. If it's a physical phenomena of some sort, you study it. You can examine it, you can look at it, you can test it, you can maybe wrap your knuckles up against it and learn about it. But if God is spirit, how do you know him unless he reveals himself to you? How do you know him unless he reveals himself to you? You can't study God. You can't do experiments on him in some way because he is spirit. He's invisible. You can't see him. And so if you are to worship him correctly, he must reveal himself to you so that you can then worship him truly. God is spirit. So that means your spirit must be involved in your worship and it means that you must have a truthful worship that comes from the scriptures. You must examine his special revelation to you, which is in the Bible, about how you are to come to God in worship, what you are to believe about him and what he requires of you. We must worship God in spirit and truth because he is spirit himself. So we've got no other option. We must worship him in spirit and truth. But when should you worship God in spirit and truth? Should you put it off till tomorrow? Is it really necessary all the time? When is the time to worship God in spirit and truth? Well, that brings me to my fifth main point this morning. True worshippers worship in spirit and truth now. True worshippers worship in spirit and truth now. Jesus says in verse 23, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. When is the time to worship God in spirit and truth? Well, Jesus says, Yet a time is coming and has now come. Seems like Jesus can't make up his mind there. Is coming and has now come. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is saying that a time is coming when we will focus on God through, us, through Jesus Christ 
and we will understand him, we'll relate our spirits to him and to the Father through him. That a time is coming when externals will be removed and so we'll focus on the spiritual temple of Jesus rather than on the physical temple in Jerusalem. And remember the woman is mainly concerned about what is the location of worship. And Jesus is saying soon the externals will be removed. There will no longer be a temple, a physical temple. There will no longer be priests there serving at that temple offering physical sacrifices. A time is coming when that will be removed and people will naturally be worshipping in spirit. They'll no longer be focusing on the externals. They'll be focusing on the internals. But it's interesting that that hasn't happened yet and Jesus does say it has now come. What does he mean? Well, the process is beginning. By Jesus arriving, by his teaching, he was destroying those externals that people had set their hearts upon and were focusing on as their way to approaching God. They were no longer focusing on the internals. They were simply coming to God in the right place with the right people and offering the right sacrifices, focusing on the externals. But Jesus is now, as he's entered into the world, he is starting to demolish that entire system through his teachings. He's undermining that whole construction of a way of worshipping God that the Jews had developed over the centuries. And eventually it would be demolished altogether. So Jesus is saying, it's coming, because soon that temple will be destroyed, the temple curtain will be ripped in two, and the temple itself will be demolished. But it's already come in one sense because I am here. The true temple of God is here. And people are starting to understand this and move away from all those external regulations that the Jews had developed. So for the Samaritan woman, the time was coming and even now had come to her as she's there with the Messiah himself. But for you today, when is the right time to worship God in spirit and truth? Well, it's now. You're in the 21st century. The temple has definitely been demolished. It hasn't been rebuilt, which is a very interesting thing that the temple has never been rebuilt over in Jerusalem. The time for you is now to worship God in spirit and truth. You must know God in your spirit and in your minds. You must focus on God. You must have a true knowledge of him and worship him with your spirit. You, there is no time for you to be distracted in your worship and think that you're somehow worshipping God because you showed up at the right place at the right time. Your spirit must be involved in your worship because that is who the Father seeks now, because God himself is still spirit today as he was back then, and because the externals have been removed, much of them have been removed. And so now is the time to come before God in spirit and truth. And so you have to ask yourself this morning, am I worshipping God in spirit and truth? Maybe as you've listened to this this morning, you've realised that you've never worshipped God in spirit and truth. That you've had a false construction of who God is. You've never really worshipped the God of the Bible. So you've never truly worshipped God. And all those years you may have spent going through different religious practices, your spirit wasn't involved. You may have said all oh, wonderful prayers, but you only said them, you never prayed them. You may have sung lots of songs over the years, but you never truly sung them in praise of the Lord. And you may have read the Bible many, many times, 
but you've never really read the Bible. You've never applied it to your own life. You've been going through religious rites without your spirit involved. If that is you, you need to repent before God now. You need to confess your sins truly for the first time in your life. Admit that you're a sinner. Come before God and ask for his forgiveness through Jesus Christ's work at the cross. It's so wonderful that Christ's work at the cross covers all our sins, including all those times when we've offered false worship to God, when we've worshipped someone who is not truly the person that we should be worshipping, and when we've not had our spirit engaged. Confess to God now. Ask him for forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and his blood does cleanse you. If you confess your sins, if you repent now in spirit and truth, then you are indeed forgiven. If you trust in spirit and truth that Jesus Christ died for you, then you are forgiven. And you can come before God and know that you're acceptable in his sight. Maybe you are a Christian and you have truly repented and you have truly believed in the past, but you recognise that so often you still struggle to worship God in spirit and truth. That so often your prayers, you're mechanically going through them, When you gather at worship on Sundays, it's just all mechanical. You're here because that's what you do. You've fallen into a habit of doing it. It's not because you actually want to be here and are thinking about what you're hearing and doing whilst at church. If that is you, confess that to the Lord now and ask for his forgiveness. And then seek to worship him in spirit and truth. Yes, it may always be a struggle for you. But it's something you must struggle against, is to offer false worship to God. Worship that it does not involve your spirit, does not involve truth, that you're being a hypocrite towards God instead of honouring him as you should. Let's come before our God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the words of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that he points out the false worship that people often offer to you, that they do not worship you in spirit and truth. And Lord, as we look at our own lives, we see how often we have offered false worship to you, that we may have even worshipped another God because we haven't known you truly. We've been worshipping a figment of our imagination or of somebody else's. And Lord, so often when we've sought to worship the God of the Scriptures, Our spirits have not been involved. Even today, as we've sung songs before coming to hear from your word, our spirits may not have been involved. We may have been mechanically saying things with our mouths and not actually thinking about what we were saying. Lord, we pray that you may help us to worship you in spirit and truth, knowing we can worship you anywhere. But Lord, we pray that we may worship you with our spirits, with our minds engaged, with our hearts loving you, rather than simply going through a mechanical kind of worship instead that is really no worship at all and is completely in vain. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.